I want whoever's in charge, whoever's my partners, I want them to taste blood as quickly as possible. I want money to flow in to the account and flow to their pockets as quickly as possible. Welcome to Bullish, where we talk about the journey and process to build ourselves and companies into multi-billion dollar people and brands. Currently, my business and investment funds have done tens of millions in revenue. And this is the documentation of the journey to scale to the billion dollar realm. All while we give back and do good in the world. My name is Bridger Pennington and welcome to Bullish. Hey, hey guys, hope you're enjoying the show. Now, as you know, we don't run advertisements on this channel. We just spread this by word of mouth. So if you can, please rate and review the show. If it's benefited your life anyway, please drop that down below. I actually love reading them. I love seeing what people say and share and stuff. So if you guys can, if you, this show has helped you in any way, shape or form, please rate and review and share this with a friend or two that may benefit their life. We do this just to help more people understand this game that we're playing. Thank you guys so much and we'll get back to the show. What's up people, welcome back to the show. Today we're talking about when you should pay yourself in your business and or take chips off the table and start selling pieces of your business. Kind of two phases that we're gonna talk about in this episode. How you should approach this process of paying yourself or reinvesting in the business. It's a big question I've had for years and a couple of things that helped me a ton when starting a bunch of my businesses. Let me take you back a little bit. We'll talk about that first tier of paying yourself. I mentioned this before in my story, I started six businesses my first two years of college, all sorts of business. I had a Chinese tutoring business. I had a website building business. We did like Forex trading business. I wholesale two houses. We just did all these different types of businesses. And at the beginning, I typically just rolled money back into the business. Like think about my, my website business, which I am a big proponent of investing in yourself. When you start, the best investment you can make when you have 500 bucks or a thousand bucks or even 10 or $20,000 is back into yourself, in skills, in processes, in anything that you can take. Because guess what? If you get divorced, if you go bankrupt, people cannot take your skills away from you. So, and I, I'm huge, it's way bigger ROI than investing in the S&P 500 or building a portfolio. Even though I'm a fund guy, I love funds, I love investing. When, when you're at that level, and still to this day, I, I still put a significant amount of investment capital into myself. I've spent, I totaled up is about $285,000 in the last about four years on coaching and consulting for myself. That's a big chunk of change. It's over a quarter million dollars that I have spent directly. Like that's just st straight cash flow. <laughs> it seems like a lot. That's a Lambo um, that we put in, but that is produced and it's sharpened my axe and I continue to do it. So back to this, we, we kept investing money back in the business though, to grow the business. You keep growing it and growing it. And what happened was interesting. This is for bootstrap founders. People that are listening to this, if you're a bootstrap founder, which we bootstrap fund launched, we bootstrapped it all the way to, to where it's at now. We, you know, we're, we've done pretty well, about 23 million in sales in about three years, uh, three and a half years, something like that. Um, when you just put the money back in the business, you as the founder start to starve. And literally, <laughs> you literally start to starve and kind of mentally you starve. And it's not very fun. Um, I'm a big proponent when any, whenever I do a partnership, I'm sure you guys have done this before. I've done this a number of times on those were, I started six businesses. I probably had, I don't know, 10 to 12 businesses that never started. That were just ideas during that time period. You hop on a zoom call with these potential business partners. Everyone says, yeah, you give assignments. Cool. Let's let's okay. Everyone break. We're going to meet back in two weeks and you meet back and like no one's done their assignments or people have done a little bit of stuff and then, okay, let's do another two weeks or three. And then what happens is six or eight months or 12 months go by and nothing happens when you're launching this business. What I figured out, any business venture I do or launch, I want whoever's in charge or whoever's my partners, I want them to taste blood as quickly as possible. I want money to flow in 
to the account and flow to their pockets as quickly as possible. Because when you start to taste blood as an entrepreneur, it fuels you like crazy. There's, I mean, people, you make podcasts, entrepreneur on fire. You see these people that run businesses. They're just like, it's the funnest thing I've ever done. You can just see the energy out of their eyes. Why? Because every day they're getting paid. You find an entrepreneur though, that hasn't been paid in a year, man, they're sluggish. They're down, they're low. Even if they just raised a big funding round, they are stressed out. Why? Because you are, we are in the for-profit game. We are not running a non-profit. We are in the for-profit game of business. We need to make money and profit. And I want my business partners to taste blood. So me and Mason, when we started Fun Launch, we tasted blood very quickly. The first weekend, we launched a funnel and ad we'd had before we built our product. We wanted to see if people would buy it. And the first weekend, we made like $1,500. On We ran some ads We got and we were like, holy crap. And I was like, called Mason. I'm like, dude, we just made 1,500 bucks like from this brand new business idea in like two days. It's like, think we can make more? And so we kept running it. We made uh, $80,000 in the first month. And that was pre-product. I mean, we were building the product with our clients, but we were, we wanted to, I wanted to sell first. I'm a big proponent of selling first to get money in the door. Because when money comes in, it's like, crap, well now what do we do? We need a treasury. Are we need a bank account. We need to like house this money. And what happens is everyone focuses on that thing. All those guys or gals on that Zoom call, they're like, yeah, whatever, maybe I'll do this thing. Whenever there's blood in the water, everyone's focus attention goes, Whoa, okay, we got something here. Let's actually focus. And instead of every two weeks you're meeting, it's every, hey, we're meeting this morning and we're going to call at 2 p.m. this afternoon. You need all of your projects done by two. And then we're going to have another call at 8 p.m. to get the next step of projects done. And bam, you just condensed four weeks into one day because everyone's focused on the thing. So as you start to make money though, Again, the back to this question of, do we keep reinvesting? We dump back to ads. Like when do we take chips off the table? I had a great mentor uh, tell me this. <laughs> he said two things. Number one, Bridger, if you don't feed yourself, you will die inside on this business. Number two, when you leave money in the bank accounts, it typically gets spent and it just, it just ends up somewhere else. It just kind of disappears on you. And he said that to me, and this is a number of years ago. And I was like, I don't know if I believe that. And that started to happen to us. We'd make money and just, I'd say, you know, let's just leave it in the bank account for a little bit. No big deal. And all of a sudden it just started getting spent on, and we, and me and not even just, I, I knew we, oh yeah, let's buy this thing or let's buy that. Yeah. We got money in the bank. Like it's not a big deal. And what happened is we ended up having $0 and businesses go in cycles. You have good periods and then bad periods. It's very cyclical businesses across the board. Markets are cyclical. There's just this pattern that you have winter. And guess what happens after winter? You have spring. And then guess what? After spring, you have summer and then you have fall and then you have winter again. It's the cycle of life happens in your business, happens in markets. And what happens is when winter comes and you're like, crap, I wish I would have eaten during summer or fall. And then you got to go plant again in the spring. But if you do not harvest, it kills you inside as a business owner. And so what we decided to do, we called it King's cash. Um, and so we would make sure the Kings got paid with the cash and we would take down. So we'd run our, this is again, simple. This is when you're bootstrapping a business. I'll talk about more advanced business in a minute, simple business. We would run a, a P&L statement. Okay, profit and loss. Let's look at our balance sheet. How many liabilities do we have? Meaning, how much money do we need to save to pay to fulfill on our clients? We're in a service business. So we need to make sure we can fulfill on all these clients that are signing up. Okay, we have that number. Then we, I wanted to make sure we had at least three months of expenses or fixed costs paid. At least three months, if not more, but at least three months. Okay, what's that number? Okay, here's our number. Anything above that, anything distribution right to the right to the owners and every month we do a calculation bam bam we pull it down distribution to the, to the owners to me and, and mason at the time for fun launch is that that's one business example and we got a distribution it's like oh man we taste the blood like okay that feels good 
Let's do it again next month. And bam, we do it again next month. And every month you start to feel a pattern. Okay, I earn this much per month, or maybe it's every two weeks you do this, but we did it once a month. You feel this pattern of money coming in and it hits your bank account and it fuels you as a business owner. And all of a sudden it's really fun. And um, now a few things to note. You got to run your margin. So for example, if our business was about a 30% net net margin. So if we made $100, we would take home net net to us about 30. That was about our average. At the beginning is a little bit more and it's kind of come down over time, but let's call it 30% net net average. So if we did a million dollars, we would take home about $300,000. Um, another way to think of that though, if you spent $300,000 in coaching, that means you have to make a million dollars of revenue. So take it to a small example, let's say a hundred grand. So if we, uh, wanted to hire a new person, uh, for, or a new product or a process or a software for, let's call it 20 grand. That means we've got to make about three, a little bit more than three times that. So we got to make 60 to $70,000 of revenue to justify that cost. Think about the ROI on the opposite side of that thing. Additionally, if that doesn't make money, we just lost that much revenue. That hurts our total enterprise value of our company by a, you know, let's call it a three X because we're looking at EBITDA. They're going to look at your EBITDA number. So it's taking now down your EBITDA by another $20,000. We just invested into that thing. And so a lot of entrepreneurs I follow like, oh yeah, we're going to, we'll spend 20 grand to make back 20 grand. No, you need to spend 20 grand to make back 60 grand to break even. That's an interesting thought. So before you go hire the next thing or spend on this, and that's why when you leave money in that bank account, it can, it doesn't, sometimes does not get as spent efficiently. And again, this is for bootstrap businesses. We have now, so I'm going to kind of transition now into more an advanced capital and treasury structure. So now we have multiple partners. We have a lot of employees now. And we couldn't just do that every single month because number one, the government makes you switch to accrual and gap standards. And gap standards make you accrue a sale over sometimes 12, for a lot of our sales is 12 months and accrue your expenses over 12 months. And so your P&L and your numbers kind of get messed up. You need a statement of cash flows with a balance sheet and a P&L altogether. And so today when we do our treasury statements. It looks a lot different than a startup business, but I'm still happy we did those startup businesses. But even still to this day, we run our full breakdown. We want to see our 12 month liabilities. What are all the liabilities? We want to make sure if our business, we like the FTC came in and just closed our, all froze our accounts. Could we, <laughs> which by the way, I've had some friends that's happened to, which is insane. By the way, side note, the FTC has so much power. It is insane. The FTC, and, and hopefully there's some le legislation right now proposed to limit the FTC. But the FTC, I had a couple of friends, they are, they are doing investigation by enforcement. I had a couple of friends, they literally showed up to their business. They said, you are shut down today. Bank accounts frozen while we do our investigation. And the investigation took, I don't know, six months, eight months. They were not allowed to get a new customer for eight months. And then the investigation, I don't know the whole details, but at least from one side of the story is they didn't find much and they had to, they had these little settlements and clauses they did because they had a few problems in their business. But he's like, it stopped us for nine months, eight, nine months. We could not sell. Anyways, I digress. FTCs, but just imagine the FTC came to your business and shut your, literally you had no revenue in. Could you fulfill on the clients that have already bought from you and fulfill them fully? And, it's, and especially a service-based business, I think there are a lot of service, like Fun Launch is a, primarily a service-based company. There's a lot of 
service-based companies that are Ponzi schemes. Hey, hey, what's going on, people? Hope you're enjoying the show. This is Bridger Pains in here. So if you like the show so far, if you're more of a visual learner, we actually post almost all of these to YouTube. So if you go look me up, Bridger Pennington on YouTube, we're there. We actually have a ton of different content on funds and different business structure and strategy stuff that we kind of don't touch on on the podcast, but are more visual-based stuff. So if you're a visual learner, go to YouTube and go check me out, Bridger Pennington on YouTube. With that, we'll get back to the show. Thanks, guys. Now, let me define that for you. A service-based company that, again, the definition of a Ponzi scheme, you have to get more investors to pay off previous investors. That's what a Ponzi scheme is. So if you have a, an investment thing and to, you have to get new investors to pay off the old investors, that just keeps going on. You cannot tailor back a large Ponzi scheme. It's mathematically impossible. With a coaching group, I've seen some people do this, where they sell coaching people into a coaching product for, let's say, 12 months. But they go spend the money, they go buy Lambos and Ferraris and Jets, and they go, crap. To fulfill on the people we already sold, we need to sell new people and get more revenue and cash flow in. Does that make sense? Think about like a lawn care business. Like if they pay for their lawn care, but you take the money and you buy a new whatever, you know, truck or a, I don't know, whatever you want to buy, but it doesn't directly go to the client. You need to sell new clients to pay your guys to go out and do that job. There are a number of service-based companies that actually run as Ponzi schemes and they don't even know it. And they wouldn't go to jail for a Ponzi scheme or anything, but they, the, the, their financials, their books are not run soundly. And I've seen, a, sadly, a few people online that have they're, all of a sudden their Amazon store business just blows up. They can't fulfill on anybody because they were running a Ponzi scheme. They didn't know it. They didn't realize it's not termed that, but I will term it a Ponzi scheme. They had to sell more clients to fulfill on previous clients. Okay, I digress. So now we run that fully. And we run our whole statement cash flows. We still though do, okay, what's our net net? Do we have three to six months of operating capital? We have our variable costs. We run all that. How are we financially? We want to be very financially sound. I want to be, I, I try to, I play a very low risk game with business. I want to be in the longevity. I want to be in the long game of business. I do not like to run things thin. So we make sure we have a lot of capital. That's okay. If the FTC shut us down, we'd be just fine. We'd be, have all these kind of rainy day fund, but then anything above that operating capital, we then distribute everything. King's cash still goes to us. We still do this at our, at our business today. Now, the next tier of this, that the game that we are getting into now is getting, again, talking about taking chips off the table. So we currently have, we've never sold fund loss. We've had a few offers come in for multiple eight figures to sell our company. We've never sold. And uh, we now though are considering doing a number of growth equity plays. And the idea is you would have someone come in and buy 10, 20, 30% of your company at today's evaluation, leaving 70% that rolls forward. That money that I, I would still keep that equity. We would roll that forward. But then that, that growth equity partner that bought 20%, they are like our sugar daddy. And they come in and help fuel the growth. They can deploy capital. They help do acquisitions. We're actually pegging. We, we are looking at maybe acquiring 10 to 12 companies right now in our whole field to really build a robust platform. They would be kind of your sugar daddy that would come and help you acquire all those companies. They would do a partnership on every single one of those companies. But what happens is, uh, let's say we sold at a, I don't know, let's call it just a 5X multiple, somewhere in the middle, 5X multiple. When you group companies together, you can then sell for a 12X or a 15X multiple because you have a much higher EBITDA, you have a mix of technologies, a mix of customer bases, and you can justify a higher multiple. This is what a lot of private equity does. Uh, another good example is these uh, 
subscription car washes. I had a friend in our group, he came and told me, he's like, Bridger, when I buy a car wash, it's about a 5X we sell. Or we can buy, a, buy it at a 5X. But once we get over 30 of them, we can sell them for a 25X multiple as a portfolio. Because larger fish want to buy a big portfolio. You can take uh, economies of scale. You can take your average cost per store goes down because you have centralized marketing, centralized accounting, finances, management, leadership, all that kind of stuff you can centralize. And you have a brand and a location, sometimes a monopoly in a certain area. And today you can grow. That's kind of the next tier of when do you take chips off the table. And it's interesting, I follow these billionaires and I have some billionaire mentors. And what's funny enough, they didn't just sell their company once. They've sold their company like four, five, six, seven times. They keep selling the same company over and over and over again. And what do I mean by that? So you sold, let's call it 10% now for a with a growth equity party. You still have 90%. You then grow, you sold that at a 5X. You then do a recap or resell at a 9X. And you sell another 15%. And then you grow it and you whatever. And then you sell it at a 13 or 14X. Again, you sell another piece and you keep selling. You keep biting at the same apple. And you keep selling over and over. Like a great example, and I'm in Utah, Todd Peterson with Vivint. If anybody's followed his story, he has sold Vivint like five times. I don't, don't quote me on that. But if you look at his track record, it's like, again, don't quote me on that. But it's, it feels like five times he had a sale early on in his career. And then he had another one, at like a billion dollar valuation. Then another one to Blackstone, like a multi-billion dollar valuation. Then they had another sale with another company. He has sold the same company multiple, multiple times. And what happens is, by the way, when you get people invest in your company, they are invested in your growth. They are invested in the ultimate success of you. And they, in a lot of ways, do they do not want you and will not let you fail. That's kind of interesting. Now, there's, there's definitely chances when you can totally fail, but the odds of failure go down because they are so, in, they've already written you a check for multiple eight figures in your company. They're, they want to make sure that has a positive ROI. So they're going to do what's ever necessary to help fuel you, fuel your team, buy companies, buy competitors to make sure you guys are successful. So kind of three tiers of taking chips off the table. Number one, bootstrapped King's cash. Number two, running a treasuring cap, making sure you're not running a Ponzi scheme. Number three, growth equity partners. And then you can IPO. There's, and by the way, those are not just three static ones. There are a lot of different ways you can take chips off the table. Uh, but in a bootstrap business, that is typically a very um, usual process. And what happens is it creates you a lot of freaking money when you do that across the board. And you can make a, you know, do pretty well in life <laughs> across the board doing something like that. So I want to share that kind of on our journey, kind of an update for what we're doing right now, what we're thinking about. We're actually, we are currently in that phase two, going to phase three right now where we are working. We're actually talking to a number of growth equity partners. We can go out and potentially buy up a handful of businesses and or invest into our infrastructure. Maybe not buy businesses, but we can, you can buy, build or partner, can develop in our business to grow. So I'll give you an update in, I don't know, six or eight months from now. We'll see what we have done, but it's, uh, it's going to be pretty fun. Thank you guys so much. Like and review the podcast if you guys love this. Thank you guys. We'll see you in the next episode. Peace.